a Podcast One production. Misinformation and privacy are a hot topic at the moment. It seems that people have access to distribute false or potentially false information very easily to large groups of people. Now, that can be seen as a very bad thing. It can also just be seen as freedom of speech. We've seen some super concerning things happen in countries like China where journalists are being exported back to Australia. It's generally giving us this feeling that things aren't going in a good direction. But let's imagine a different world. Imagine a world where you could communicate and message freely without the risk of eavesdropping, without the risk of someone manipulating the information, browsing the internet securely, or even something as simple as transferring money within five seconds to anywhere in the world, such as loved ones and family. Someone working to address some of these issues and solve some of the problems we're seeing today, and not only that, a really interesting view on how misinformation is required for society to function properly is Simon Herman, CEO of Loki. Simon, tell us a bit about yourself and what Loki do. Thanks for having me, Bastian. My name is Simon. I'm the CEO of the Loki Project. Uh, we're a privacy software foundation started here in Melbourne in 2018, although the ideas started coming up in 2017. And we have a decentralized network infrastructure layer that we've built that we use to create uh, brand new privacy tools that have some really cool properties that exceed what, what is currently available on the market in uh, the world of cryptocurrency, in the world of secure messaging, and in the world of private internet access as well. So we, we dabble in a few different areas, but it's all leveraging the same technology that we've built. Awesome, awesome. So, so let's jump straight into the deep end. I've recently been in meetings with government and law enforcement, and they're making the argument that these privacy tools are actually more often than not used by criminal organizations, used to you know, do all the bad things that people don't want to be hearing about, you know, whether it be moving drugs around, whether it be planning the next 9-11 event. What's your opinion on privacy and then also law enforcement having access to some of these systems? It's, it's amazing that all these platforms are getting created. And, you know, going back to my hacking days, privacy was really important because I didn't want to go to jail and I could easily use these tools for malicious purposes. What's your, what's your take on that? I mean, I think a really good example is looking at something like Tor, which has been around for well over a decade now um, and is used by millions of people every day. And just looking at that as a microcosm, you know, governments and, and so forth really do get caught up on the tiny percentage of people that do use these tools for malicious purposes. But the largest group of users on Tor is Iranians accessing Facebook pages of their relatives in other countries because Facebook is blocked in Iran. So yes, for good, right? Exactly, exactly. Most most people use these tools to support all of the values that we have here in Australia and other Western nations, being freedom of speech, freedom of assembly. And those those ideas are really important. The freedom of the press. Um, these 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 are ideas that are, you know, core to the fabric of our society that are being challenged at the moment, even domestically with um, COVID-19. You know, what how far is too far? Where where do we draw the line? You know, these are all really critical questions. And without citizenry having the ability to access tools that are free from interference from um, those that are restricting and regulating speech, there is there is no hope to be able to maintain those kind of qualities in our society in the 21st century. So it, it, these tools are essential. Privacy has always been a key a key principle that has supported 
democratic values. You need privacy in order to have freedom of speech. You need privacy in order to have freedom of the press. So to take these tools away or to make them non-existent in the first place is a challenge to those ideas. And I, I, I think it's a very undervalued and underserved point. So I guess if you hark this back to its most simple point, before technology, we could go and have a secret conversation with someone and there was no issue with someone listening to our conversations. We just want to reiterate that in technology. So we want to be able to have that's, a private that's, conversation. That's spot on. That's spot on. That's actually a line that I've used fairly often in these sorts of interviews before, actually. Yeah, that's right. Back in the, back in the 80s, you know, you walk into a pub with someone, you have a chat to them, very, very high chance that if no one was in earshot, um, you don't have to worry about the other people that could be party to the conversation. Whereas today we're talking about mobile phones, we're talking about every device, even the camera we're listening to now, you know, all these amazing basically vulnerabilities that are being discovered by the security community, which mean every conversation virtually, even a conversation in your car, has a potential to be eavesdropped on. And Loki's working to actually secure that communication. Exactly. We're just trying to make it so that you can have the same certainties that you did back in the 80s when you talk with someone else. Let's talk a bit about some of those security measures. So from a technology point, amazing. The work you've done is really interesting and really cool. The good thing about this technology is there are safeguards in place. It's on-chain technology. And for example, if you did manage to get my administrative username and password, I would only have access to my communications within the Loki messaging system. How concerning is it if we talk about, say, the recent hack on Instagram where an attacker basically had access to their core environment and managed to take over multiple accounts, how does something like blockchain prevent a hacker getting access to the entire system? Or actually, interesting question, do you have access to the entire system? No, no, we don't have access to the entire system. We don't even run the infrastructure. The infrastructure is run by, there's currently 1,200 different servers that are operated by a few hundred different people. Um, and they collect form the infrastructure, but the, the way the client uses that infrastructure is very different to your typical messaging app. Instead of um, using a centralized server to send your messages to it, and then it forwards that message on to its intended recipient, we have a system where you post that message to a, a cluster of servers that operates for a particular subset of, of the users of the network. And that message is replicated within that swarm and then that other person can come along pull that message out of the swarm and decrypt it on their device you are not also not able to shut the system down by ourselves that would require the whole network agreeing to turn everything off which they wouldn't do because there's economic incentives in place to prevent that so there's a range of there's a range of major differences on the back end architecture the bank session a much more resilient and a much more privacy-conscious method of exchanging messages. Very cool. There's some pretty cool emerging tech happening at the moment. Is Loki focusing on integrations with that? Like I'm imagining, let's talk about, say, Elon Musk's Neuralink, where they're talking about interfacing with the brain. They've got you know more receptors than they've ever had before. Is there the potential to, I guess, integrate this new style of distributed privacy network and then identify a person based on their human I don't know, their brainwaves or something like that, to essentially take out that element of brute forcing a human. It would be amazing just to be able to have a privacy network like this that can identify you in an infallible way to stop people taking advantage of identity theft and then using a private mm-hmm. system to move money around, to move communications around. Is that the holy grail? 
I don't think it is the Holy Grail. Um, and I don't think it's the Holy Grail because it doesn't make, it, it, it stands against a lot of the benefits that come about through the use of asymmetric cryptography. I don't think, I don't think there should be a long-term public key or, or an equivalent idea for people. I don't think people Simon's should Simon's outsmarted a- me here. I was going to trip you up and say, okay, doesn't that then negate privacy by identifying people properly? But you've caught me out there. Perfect. Yeah, I don't think, I don't think identity should be done through cryptography. I don't think it should be done through digital solutions. I think that's always something that is going to require a human trust element. And I think that's safer and better for privacy that way. I don't, I don't think we should be using, you know, neural interfaces and have a hardware security module implanted in our brain so we can sign arbitrary data from our fucking heads. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you, imagine Sorry. this, right? You've got, you've got the Chinese government chasing you. They know that you're some kind of what they would label a dissident and you are on the streets and you want to get some really important information out there to the rest of the world. How do you make sure that that information gets to the rest of the world securely? I mean, let's put you in those shoes. How would you get that message out and not risk that the device you're using hasn't been breached, they haven't lost your password? What would Simon do to get that message out and also not end up in a re-education camp? Well, I mean, China's hard. If I was in China, I'd be, I wouldn't trust any device that I picked up. I would reformat the thing. I would be going to some pretty extreme lengths. But uh, if I was in a, a more typical country that doesn't have the world's most advanced firewall it doesn't have the world's most advanced surveillance systems. There are lots and lots of things I can do. I think people need to realize that China, China's capabilities in terms of surveillance and just their general capabilities in the digital sphere outstrip anything that people in the West would consider to be a problem. You know, this whole thing of, oh no, Facebook can read my messages is not a big deal when you look at how WeChat works and how they literally have stations on street corners where they pay members of the Communist Party to inspect the message, the, the conversations in real time of the people in that immediate vicinity to see if they're saying anything um, that sort of goes against the, the, the communist regime's intentions. So that is a real hellscape that we should avoid at all costs. It's really important that we in the West maintain this low level of surveillance that we have and really push to maintain the the freedoms that we have because it's really easy for governments to justify surveillance. You know, it's really easy for them to say there's bad people out there. We can stop them because they're using technology. All we have to do is put in these measures and then it'll all be fine. It's not that that's not the reality though. As we go further and further onwards and Facebook is no longer a you know, simply a distributor of information. They're now more like a real publication where they are actively suppressing speech, even in Australia, uh, at the at the whims of the law enforcement of that nation. They're taking a stance in a lot of cases, um, and it's really it's really very negative. But if I was on the run, if I was actually on the run from a, let's say, not quite as powerful as China, but Maybe, you know, let's say I'm on the run from the Australians. Why not? We're here in Australia. It probably makes the most sense. I would get uh, an Android phone, not an iPhone. That's a conscious choice. I would factory reset it. and I, I might even install some other operating system on it. This is like, I, I'm going hardcore here. A lot of this probably wouldn't be necessary, but I'm, I'm going all the way. 
I would install Session, not by downloading it off the Google Play Store, but I would instead uh, build it from source, from, from the GitHub, because that's what you know insane hardcore people do, apparently. And then I would download Session, install it, run it, and instead of and, and then that would that would be all I would have to do. And then I'd just have to know a journalist, get that information to them, and trust that journalist, and we're all sweet. You know, from a from a technology perspective, I could use VPNs, I could use Tor. I don't have to with session because the onion routing is already built in. I'd, I'd get a burner phone number um, to register for other things. There's, there's a lot of really easy things you can do. You know, you can walk down to Woolworths today, spend 20 bucks, have a SIM card, put a fake name against it, and now you have an Australian phone number. It's really not, it's really not crazy. In terms of privacy, you know, right now, like I hear you criticizing Facebook and, you know, governments for imposing their will. We've probably got more connections between humans than we've ever had before, which is a good thing when you're looking at creativity and things like that. It also gives, uh, and from the government's point of view, a lot of power to motivate and provide people with disinformation and misinformation to potentially, you know, literally dispute facts. How do we address that? Like, what, what is the answer to that kind of political journey? If we just let everything go rampant, does, does in a hundred years time, we kind of reach an equil- equilibrium or, yeah, it's, it's confusing. I can sometimes when I, I guess I've been brainwashed some degree by listening into some of these governments discuss what the solutions could be. And I'm also, you know, privy to conversations with people like yourself, Simon, you know, where is the middle ground? Do we just let it go rampant and everyone just goes crazy and then there's a middle ground? Or I don't know. I'm, I'm in two minds about it. Misinformation has existed since the dawn of time. This, this is not a new problem. It's been, it's been around forever. It's just now that the distribution channels are so accessible that we are seeing the subset of the population that probably always has had some really fringe ideas and... Um, and now feel like they have a platform to spread those ideas. Um, I've actually been doing a fair bit of research into the current situation in Victoria um, with the anti-lockdown protests. You know, it's a it's a it's an interesting civil rights movement. It's fairly small in size at the moment, but it's very close to me personally, given I am in Victoria and I do work in this space. So it's been really interesting for me to have you know some firsthand on the ground experience looking at misinformation and its effects on on people and their ability to function within a de- democratic society. An example of, of something that I've seen, and I tweeted about this on Twitter earlier today, definitely didn't post about it on Facebook because it was heavily critical of Facebook. I've essentially been looking at events and pages and groups on Facebook that set up, supposedly set up for um, organizing protests in the future in, in Victoria. The thing is, though, Facebook has been actively censoring real real pages. It appears that the police have gotten into the ear of some of the major pages and are getting them to set dates that don't actually line up with other, pro- other protesting groups and organisations. You know, it's a fairly distributed, fragmented thing, but there's, you know, fake posters going around where, you know, it'll say one day where people are saying another and then that poster will just get spammed in bunch of telegram groups and facebook pages and stuff any facebook page that promotes the 12th of september instead of the 13th of september is almost instantly banned by facebook 
So Facebook has taken a real stance here and they are spreading misinformation that has been generated by members of Australia's cyber capability. I don't know who they are. It's really interesting to see that this kind of misinformation is not only being spread by strange people with strange ideas, but also very capable, very competent people who are actively trying to mislead members of the Australian public who are members of the Australian public service in some capacity. So the misinformation problem doesn't just extend to weirdos with bad ideas. It also extends to our own governments. And it's essential that it is allowed for this misinformation to exist because otherwise we have no method of pushing back against other types of misinformation. You know, we, what, we, what we really need is human curation. And this is the role that the traditional media has played for as long as the traditional press has existed. They are the arbitrators of truth in a sense. And that appears to be becoming less relevant now because access to information, whether it's true or not, is becoming so much easier. But uh, misinformation is always going to be there. And I guess it's just about humans finding our own sources of truth and sticking to them. And so long as the majority of people know what the truth is, some small group of people that think some weird ideas about vaccines and whatever else don't actually have a big impact on our society as a whole. So it's, it's, about, it's about allowing those people to be there, not because they're correct, but because if we start taking them away, we give the government, we give all governments the precedent to then start creating and spreading misinformation of their own, and that is unacceptable. Super interesting. So a libertarian approach where it's self-governed by popular opinion, which hopefully lands somewhere around the truth. Well, that's, that's how we've been doing things forever. It's just, it's only recently that people have decided that because there are people on the internet that have different ideas to them, they should be silenced by the providers of that connectivity. So the big tech companies, the ISPs, you know, we should shut down, you know, 4chan, we should shut down weird Facebook groups, we should shut down Alex Jones and all these other crazy people. They are crazy. I'm not, I'm not denying that. They're insane. But uh, they need to be allowed to exist because if we give the tools to shut people down and silence them, we essentially rely on the arbitrary decision maker of what is true and what is not. And there is no good solution to this. There, there, can't, there can't be as a function of the way humans interact and the way humans talk and our ability to lie to each other. Otherwise, we're moving down towards the path of China where anything that is outside the line is completely obliterated. Correct. And that is, that is a dangerous, scary place that people in this country do not understand. When we create new technology, generally, there are flaws in it. And one of the major flaws of a lot of internet technologies is that they are unsecure and do not protect users' privacy. So we need to build tools and upgrade our existing protocols to provide that protection because... It's essential. So Loki's obviously geared around privacy. What are some of the worst applications? What are some of the worst services that we're using in our day-to-day life that just leak like a sieve, that just release our privacy to anyone who wants to either purchase it or access it? Uh, I feel very passionate about this question. This is a really good question. Um, If you have TikTok or WeChat on your phone, you need to factory reset your phone immediately and never open those apps again. Um, That's number one. Obviously, the US has banned TikTok, so this is not going to be news to anyone that 
there are serious grievances with with that particular application. But it is it is certainly true that TikTok has been using its uh, ability to inject code that can be executed on the user's device arbitrarily to do very bad things like basically the contents of your clipboard are constantly being copied and sent by TikTok to TikTok servers and scraped in case you have passwords or other information on your clipboard that they might be able to use to harm you at a later stage or collect information that they can use against maybe not you specifically, but someone you're connected to or the country that you're a part of. For example, Um, if you're using a password manager that would copy to the clipboard your password for whatever application you're using and they can get that. So that's not unique to TikTok though, right? So we're sorry, Facebook have got the same kind of tech going on. They've recently removed it. TikTok have also mentioned that they removed it. There's also some other crazy stuff that all the applications are doing in terms of using the sound chips on the devices to identify your device or identify you as a person, right? But I argue a little bit that a lot of these apps are doing this, not just TikTok, not just WeChat, but Facebook, Instagram, many of them. You asked me what the worst was. I said what the worst was. That doesn't mean that I'm a, fa- a fan of Facebook or any of its any of its suite. Um, I'm particularly critical of WhatsApp. I think it's very disingenuous what WhatsApp claims to to do. It's it is not clear to me that WhatsApp does do a lot of the end to end encryption that it claims to do. There is some behaviour in the app that doesn't line up with the signal implementation, which makes me wonder whether or not there really is that level of security going on in the background. I have questions about that. And I also am aware that WhatsApp is going to be advertising to you on their platform sooner than you think using Facebook's excellent surveillance technology. They are the best marketing company in the world because they are also the best surveillance company in the Western world anyway. Absolutely. So you guys are doing some fairly disruptive thing across three fairly major areas. One being the finance system, the other being secure communications, and the other one being secure web browsing or internet browsing. Have you ever felt uh, threatened by anyone? Is anyone from the government or anyone like that? We, we do see the odd stories in the crypto world of people getting threatened because of the threat to the normal financial systems, the taxation of society. Have you ever felt anything like that, uh, Loki? I mean, we've, we've had um, conversations with lots of different regulators and authorities for a variety of reasons. I mean, we're a not-for-profit, so you know our, our reporting standards are much greater than that of other equivalent companies in, in this country. And that's something we're really proud of. We're really proud of the, the, the relationships that we have with certain members of, of the government. We have a fairly strong relationship with some members of the AFP. We actually have provided advice. Members of our team have provided advice to law enforcement about how to think about cryptocurrency and and you know what are some potential ways of doing law enforcement because bad things do happen. You know, people get their money stolen, people people get defrauded, people. You know, there's a lot. There are a lot of issues in the cryptocurrency world as there are with you know all all other industries as well. So you know, we're really proud with working with the government where where we're required to. We've never had any real negative interactions. Everything's been very cordial. We've been able to provide information that people are looking for without compromising our own values and our own thesis on the importance of what we're doing. So, yeah. Thank you, Simon. Some really well thought through points there. It's been really interesting to take 
the information you provided about misinformation and how that's actually required. That's fascinating stuff. Uh, I guess only time will tell over the next decade, half century to see uh, where humanity ends up. Yeah, well, I think it's it's up to all of us, right? We decide we decide the future ultimately as citizens of this earth. You know, and we're all on the same team and we're all going somewhere. So, you know, it's 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 easy to sit back and do nothing, but it's also really important that we take interest and and participate in these conversations and, and try and steer things in a in a good direction. Um, so I, I urge everyone to to have a think about it and think about what in your life you could do better to help people sort their way through misinformation and you know we can as a as a humanity get somewhere better than we were the last year and the year before that you know educate ourselves to a better place fantastic exactly. Simon. thank you very much for joining us today really appreciate it, it a fascinating conversation well thanks very much for having me bastian have a good one hacking is real people and organizations are being taken down every day If you'd like some professional advice and assistance, go online to ctrlgroup.com.au and we'll help you.